Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Just Listen. We back y'all, we back y'all, we back and we back and we back y'all. So how are you this week, my dear? I am alive and kicking. Barely. No, I'm just playing. I'm cool. Good, good. I'm good. I'm I'm excited because I'm going to the Riri concert soon. Riri! So. I see. Yeah. So there's no more coconuts between you guys? There's not. <laughs> there's not. <laughs> that still cracks me up. Even though it's like how many years old now, but really. It's no. still hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, the only downer about it is. I don't see G4L and jump on the set list. <gasps> so, if somebody got some contacts with her, just ask her for that Chicago show to make that happen <laughs> because that is my life. But either way, I mean, I'll just blast it on the way there, driving down, you know, Chicago, and we'll make it happen either way because I'm happen. gonna hear that song. But it is a jam, yeah. But um, there's a ton of other good ones on there, but that does hurt my feelings that I don't get to scream out G4O <laughs> during the concert. I'm sorry, yeah, but that's gonna be fun. So I'll tell you guys all about it after the concert. I'm super hype about that because Rihanna speaks to the ratchetness that is within me and, uh, and outside. Whatever, I am not ratchet and, outside. And, and I'm a around. lady. And all around. I'm a lady and I spread peace, joy, and sunshine to the right. world. I'm just saying. So meanwhile, back at the barn. <laughs> so, um, actually getting into these topics. Um, last week we had a really good convo um about just the political landscape and everything that was going on. We talked about, uh, you know, some good seasoning sauce for y'all, Mary Garland. <laughs> some good seasoning. <laughs> what? What they say on black is some good wholesome Lowry seasoning. <laughs> so y'all, I love that show. y'all, y'all get y'all some Mary Garland. Talk to y'all senators. Tell them you want some seasoning on the Supreme Court. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think- Rock was a uh, did was that speech today that he gave um in support of Merrick? I I think it was supposed to be today. If it I, was, I did not see it because obviously I you know I work so that's I just don't watch TV during the day and you don't either. So I mean I just looked after work so well I mean so meanwhile back at the bar <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm oh because I work I, I was at work too. <laughs> I don't know this, what you be this doing. How, <laughs> this how African Americans be. <laughs> so, like we were saying, Merrick. Yes. Um, Garland. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, we I guess, just gonna finish that up by saying that there's a lot of big things that are coming up on the Supreme Court, I mean, some of the decisions that are coming up to be decided deal with abortion, um, affirmative action. You got the Fisher case. Yes, they mad, Abby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gun rights. I mean, there's a lot of big things on the table. So just know that what happens in you know the next few weeks to months 
is going to make a big impact. So make your voices heard. Okay. I think that's a that's a good let them know that we uh vote in the negative against the seventy eighth Hunger Games. Yeah, well, <laughs> I I'm very much with that. Because I don't know if the odds are going to be in my favor. I don't know either. And I don't want to find out, to be honest. We, so. we, we not. Mm-mm. Maybe I just need to become a citizen of the world. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's what I'll be. And I'll just explore the world and I'll come back periodically. <laughs> make sure that my district is still doing well. Well. I quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit. No, I'm not. I'm not leaving. They're not going to run me out of my country. So. Yeah. This we, is home. We're going to make it great. But not the way, you know. I was like, no! <laughs> no! I got nothing! I was like, y'all, the podcast has ended because there are traitors amongst us. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. Not in that way. Why is that? Now that's going to be like the bad term to say, like, you can't say. Yeah, like, because like, now, uh, now it has like a negative connotation because I think, but you know, it's really because so many people have so many different ideas as to what that boils down to. Like, I think in general, people want, you know, an improvement in, in our country and they want improvement in just, you know, life conditions in our country. But I think that um, we just really can't agree on a methodology to get there exactly you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. and the fact and i one of my issues with that is that why do we have to like choose like why can't we just legit come together and compromise on a method because it seems like a lot of people have the same core values so if we're just going about it in different ways why can't we say that hey we're saying the same thing we're just saying it differently and there's nothing wrong with that but you know that's that's my, we make my, life more difficult my way than it highway. has to be you know at the end of the day so I, I think that's a good wrap up to what we talked about last week. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what you got going on, dear? Girl, um, what don't we got going on? So, hopping into our article for this week. Mm-hmm. As you know, I am in love with my favorite podcast, which is Radio Lab. And although this was um, this episode has been a couple weeks old now, I definitely still wanted to bring it up because I feel like it's still it's relevant mm-hmm. to a lot of things that are going on currently. And um, the episode is called "Debatable." And as a quick synopsis of this episode of Radio Lab, so basically, debate is one a whole nother world that I didn't even realize that debate was still you know that that uh no it's real life true story prominent in our country yeah apparently Mm -hmm. it is (laughs) and um so jad and robert they're the hosts of the show radio lab they interviewed a young man named ryan wash um he's actually our age graduated in 2013 shout out 2013 class okay so he's slightly younger whatever He's younger than me, so... That's yep. fine, because he's in my class, okay? My <laughs> cohort, okay? So we're here, Ryan, if you ever listen to this. But yeah, like I was saying, um, Ryan Wash, he um, was a debater from Emporium, which is a small college in Kansas. He's actually originally from Kansas City. And what made this episode so, I think, distinct was the fact that, um, one... Ryan came from a district where it was um, predominantly African-American. 
you know, in high school and he moved up through the ranks in debate and uh, moved into debating at a national level, you know, in a very uh, diverse area. And he was able to compete. He was able to hang with everybody else. And when he went into college at Emporium, like I said, he was on the debate team then as well. And he learned from some great mentors, um, some great debate coaches and other debaters that um, taught him a different style of debate. So he went from a traditional debating, um, which is what they call uh, spreading. So basically when they speak very quickly in order to get out all of their arguments so that, um, you know, if you're on the affirmative, so that the negative potentially <sighs> won't have time to get through all, all of their arguments and be able to actually, you know, refute what's being said. And he decided to do a different style of debate. And within this, he decided to actually debate the state of debate, which was that um, the style of debate was not inclusive to everyone because of how it was set up as far as having to, you know, give a, a ton of arguments at one time, which means you have to research a ton of arguments, which means that you have to, you know, um, pay people to help you research and there's teams and there's coaches and there's debate camps. And that since everyone does not have access to those resources, it excludes a large population of students who um, participate in debate, maybe like in high school and coming up through the mm -hmm. ranks. But then when they come to the higher levels, like nationals and what have you, um, they're more excluded because they don't have that same resource. So they're not playing on the level playing field. And Ryan decided to just dedicate his career to discussing debate mm -hmm. and discussing, you know, that issue. So I think within that, um, a few important issues that he brought up were, like we said, um, the lack of access to resources, which leaves the playing field uneven. And given that, I, how do I want to put this? I think a lot of these issues that he pointed out that made debate uh, an exclusive is something that makes a lot of different areas of yeah. life that you know um minorities or those who you know no matter what race you are those who come from a lower socioeconomic background these are barriers that many times are faced right um and this is this was interesting and i identified with the episode a lot because when i was in undergrad <laughs> i had um considered becoming a part of the debate team now I went to about three or four good meetings and I realized, yeah, you don't want this one right here. <laughs> um, and, and but what I liked about this was he he did transform. So stepping back and just, you know, fleshing it out even more, he not only turned the tables and instead of debating the issues that they wanted him to debate which was things that i mean at the end of the day he's like highfalutin yeah highfalutin <laughs> you know first world problems you know literally yeah <laughs> um he really got down to the nitty-gritty and he also um incorporated things that were natural to him which was spoken word and um you know african-american culture he brought mm -hmm. that to the table which was something that was never done before and i thought that was uh very interesting so going back to just 
what keeps people out. I think a lot of times the barrier is just the style itself. I know that was a barrier for me. And that was part of the reason why I didn't want to do it because literally you go in and I hear debate team and me knowing that I want to go to law school. I'm like, of course, this is something that would, you know, be great on the resume. I love, you know, getting into the logic of things and arguing my point. And I get in there, they literally talk like this. And I could get over I'm like, wait, huh? <laughs> yeah. How in the world am I even supposed to catch what you're saying to debate against you, <laughs> first right. of all? Um, and so this, it was a culture shock to me because I had not been a part of that world. I did not, you know, like, that's not the way that I communicate. And, and I would just throw in there that that's actually something that they mentioned in the episode was the fact that a lot of students did run into culture shock, especially when it, be, when it came to the national level, um, you know, of debate, because you are being exposed with all of these new aspects and all these new, basically like. I, I don't know. I almost want to call them like societal rules that you have to follow because there's no, there's no, there's not very many set rules, but they were saying there's a lot of like norms in mm -hmm. debate. And I feel like that's kind of the thing with like a lot of life experiences is that there are not very many set rules in life, but there's a lot of norms and you have to know these social norms in order mm -hmm. to move within these different social circles and to be able to like move up mm -hmm. in society. Yeah. So um, that was, so first of all, a lot of the barriers is the culture shots. And many times, you know, you're not exposed to the style. You're not exposed to how the operation works. So this is something that happens in, you know, many settings, not just the debate settings. And unfortunately, many times when you're coming into it as a newbie, you don't get that welcoming feel. You don't get that yeah. person who takes you under the wing and shows you and says, well, this is the style. So, you know, these are things that you should be expecting. This is how we navigate things. A lot of times when a newbie enters, there's this sense of threats by those who have been more established and they're looking for any and everything that they can to tear you down, unfortunately. And uh, so that tends to be a barrier when you are not automatically ingrained in that setting. Yeah, and I think that um, I guess well, actually, when I was when I was listening to you say that, that made me think about kind of like the episode that we were talking about, like having mentors, like in mm -hmm. different areas and in different, you know spaces and places in life mm -hmm. um because i feel like that would help to usher in a new generation of people into i guess different social circles yeah in society yeah but again that's that's something that has to be ingrained and we have to get better at doing uh so he talked a lot about that just you know the the feeling of how do I navigate in this arena? Because he was, I mean, even though he had moved up the ranks in high school, by the time he gets into doing this at a collegiate level, he's no longer the big fish in the small pond. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. And the rules have changed. And like he says, he's, you know, trying to compete as far as research. And so the lack of access, which is, you know, something you talked about becomes a factor too, because when you're dealing with institutions that have far more resources, 
that's automatically going to be something that is a disadvantage. And I feel like that's why, I don't know, I, I kind of wish like in our country that we could have some sort of equality, like baseline equality as far as basic necessities, such as like education. Yeah. Like, like I understand that, you know, every school district's budget is based off of, you know, the taxes of that city. So, you know, if you have more, if you have cities that are more economically well-to-do, then you have better school systems. But I don't know, to me, I feel like essentially education is one of like those, it sh- to me, it should be one of those basic fundamental rights. Of, of course it is. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have the same set of bootstraps. Exactly. So, I mean, that might sound and, petty, and but even, that's just how I feel about it. And even with this whole um, case that we have at the Supreme Court with the Fisher v. Texas and the affirmative action, I mean, honestly, to me, we're dealing with the problem on the wrong end. Yeah. If little Jaquan (laughs) and little Jimmy have the same educational opportunities from preschool, (laughs) from day one, you're not going to need to worry about this on the back end, which is college and getting into jobs. Right. So, again, this goes to what you're saying as far as access to education and making, you know, there be a baseline. I think, you know, the intent as far as affirmative action is concerned is all well and good as far as trying to bridge that gap. But we're working from it at the wrong end now that being said since we ain't corrected it on the front end yet i am not a proponent of us changing that right now that's i mean that's just me yeah i mean i think it has to be a work in like i think it should sort of work in tandem like i don't think it should be a choice of one or the other either we have affirmative action or you know we do better at the elementary school level i don't i think it should be something that like works in tandem until we can get some kind of equality yeah. You know, across the board. And I also feel like it's not necessarily fair to not have a baseline to start with. But then by the time you get higher up in high school, when you're getting ready to apply to college or technical school or, you know, going to the workforce, then you want to have standardized tests. And everybody has to do so well on this one standardized test because this is how we figure out, you know, whether or not your college material or whether or not you know, you should be going into this job or that job when you haven't had the same opportunity to prepare for said test, you know? Very true. Very true. But what I think this episode brought out too was on the other hand, they knew they didn't have the access. They knew that that whole, um, you know, fast speaking and, you know, uh, gritty way that, debate had been done beforehand was not them yeah and they did not use that as a crutch use the fact that they didn't have those things as a crutch and instead another point that was brought out is they decided to play their game and be themselves 
and use that to bring everybody who they debated with on their court because they knew it was not a game that they could ever win by doing it the way, yeah, Yeah. in someone else's arena. And so I really liked that it was like, yeah, we're bringing out these problems, but this is not going to stop us. And And I really loved this story and this episode because of that. Because so often, as humans in general, we can get so stuck in what the problems are, and we don't go forward and see what we have and play that hand. Yeah, and I uh, something else that I really loved uh, in the episode was that Ryan brought up um, a school in Louisville, and basically they became like the poster child for for that sentiment and their whole slogan was like we can't change the state but we can change the state of debate Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's something that that you kind of have to take on like you don't necessarily take on the you don't you don't take on all of society like oh yes i'm about to change the world and blah 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 like it's really a sentiment of i'm going to try to change this aspect i'm going to make sure that you are able to see different viewpoints i'm going to let you know that i'm here and that my thoughts and my feelings my opinions are just as valid as yours so it's almost like like you just have you even though if you don't want to let me into your setting per se i'm going to show you what mine is Mm -hmm. so it's like commanding the attention and not to be not commanding in a selfish manner but commanding in a way that says yes there are people out here different from you and yes we all have to coexist because we are all equals yeah And I think it's something that is a lesson for whatever arena you're in. I mean, a lot of times, you know, think about being a female in the workplace. And a lot of times it's told that, you know, if you're a higher level professional, you know, you, well, you have to know sports. You have to, you know, be able to kick it with the fellas and you, you know, you, you have to be aggressive or not too aggressive, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you're trying to play within to these, tailor yourself yeah. to fit into something that's not necessarily you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. I'm not the girl who knows sports. I'm not the girl who, you know, is meek. But I'm going to be me. If I try to play the game like the other people do, I'm, and, and, and it's so funny because anybody who's listening to this who um, has known me uh, from law school, like that was my theme throughout law school. Like day one, I came in here. Anybody who would ask me, like, what do you do? I'm playing my game. Like that was literally <laughs> like my wording because I just, I walked in and I knew that this was an arena that was totally different than what I had been in. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it my way. If I play it everybody else's way, I'm I'm, it's going to be bad. So um, I just really liked that. He was, you know, he was him in this case. He was, he wasn't fast talking. He was a spoken word artist. He was black and proud. He was, you know, um, a man who came from all of these diverse backgrounds and he brought that passion and he brought that experience to the debate arena in a way that no one else had seen it before. And that's how he became so successful. Yeah. And I would definitely say that, um, uh, you know, a lot of different students had come up through the ranks 
and try to push this agenda. And a lot of them did well. I think this was this story became prominent because Ryan and his partner actually did win the national debate tournament in 2013. And one that was awesome because that was a note in African-American history because no other African-American team had won at the national level. So that was already, you know, hats off for that. But not only was it just a baseline of, okay, well, you just, you know, you made this accomplishment for your race and what have you, but it was really a sense of you made an accomplishment for people who function outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And having to be strong in that because that was not, that was not something that was received well by the other competitors, you know, and he was still able to stand strong in who he was. So that was a note too, that you're going to have the resistance when you're doing something like that. And I thought that was something that was interesting. And it was, it was a, yeah, it was an interesting uh, tidbit, but I felt so kind of way about it. And I was like, well, well, why is this? Because we see this in so many uh, different areas. But so he made this big splash by being himself, by challenging the, the state of debate. And of course, your first thought is, wow, there's going to be all kinds of, you know, um, Asian-American, African-Americans, you know, uh, middle to lower class, you know, Caucasians. Like, there's going to be this this fusion of people who have not been in the debate arena before jumping into it and doing it their way, and people are going to catch on to this. And the exact opposite happened. Like... It was almost seen, even though he won, a lot of those who had been in the debate arena before literally was like, if this is what we're going to allow, we're going to create our own factions of debate and and Mm -hmm. this is going to be segregated and we're, you know, and if you want to include anything else but this, yeah, performance styles in the debate arena, you're not going to be allowed in these competitions. And so things kind of, you know, died down and we've seen this in many uh, cases. Um, I don't know if, uh, what was that movie? Um, that came out with Ravis Simone and she told the true story Ravis. of the integration of the prom at the school. It was Ravis? a Lifetime movie. Yeah, Ravis Simone. Oh, and she... I, don't with... I don't mess with Lifetime like that. Oh, okay, but it was a movie and it was based off of a true story where, um, and this this was like, you know, 90s and 2000s where like this legit, you know, I mean, happened. I know Morgan Freeman's high school, uh, he tried to get them to have an integrated prom. I remember that. No, this one Morgan Freeman wasn't in this. Oh, then I don't know. But, but however, if it ain't like, Morgan Freeman. I don't know. <laughs> but no, um, so it was a true story. But I guess the moral of the story is: so they go through this big splash that they integrate the prom this one year, and like literally the next year, they went back to the same way. You should have said Morgan Freeman because that's definitely what happened when he tried no, to No, Morgan Freeman prom. was not in this movie. But this wasn't a movie though. He did like a little mini documentary. No, no. Well, I mean, he could have, it could have been the same school, but I'm talking about from where I know. I it. just want to talk about Morgan Freeman. Anyway. <laughs> How we got off topic about Morgan Freeman anyway? Papa Freeman. Papa Freeman. 
Um, now he was like he like anybody's grandpa he, or like uncle like he, he, he show up at your fish fry just real regular like he is that <laughs> everybody and then narrate the whole fish fry i would really want to see a show where he just narrates Sandra something. thought she was doing something with that catfish <laughs> <laughs> it's too salty <laughs> he goes for the cayenne pepper <laughs> no but anyway um <laughs> Can we get look, back to look, what looks for the Lowry seasoning? <laughs> the bottle's empty. No oh. wonder we can't keep any Louisiana hot Can sauce we in the get house. Back to what we do? <laughs> no, I want to talk about Morgan Freeman. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus, this is fine. Um, I want to finish your sentence. I was making a really good point, I'm and then put some Lowry's on it. Go ahead, finish. <laughs> Okay, so yes, um, so I, I thought that was the interesting aspect of it too. How a lot of times you get these bursts of um, infusion and and thought provoking uh, challenges to the system, and then it kind of dies down. And I thought that was an interesting take on it to show that a lot of times you get so excited about just the initial breakthrough that a lot of times we forget that there has to be the steady climb and it has to continue and the Mm -hmm. work you know otherwise it does die down in whatever arena it is so i thought that was um a very interesting highlight of the show too that people may or may not have picked up on in if they listen to the podcast if you have not listened to the podcast, go listen to it. The podcast is called Radio Lab, and the episode is called Debatable. And I'm telling you, look, there are so many good points in that episode. Like, I can't even. Yeah, we, <laughs> I I mean, like we, we literally could have an episode about that yes. episode. But, um, you know, we're not doing that today. We're not doing it for the vibe. We're not doing it for the vibe? We're not. Um, do it for the vibe. No, I ain't gonna do it. Do it for the vibe. I'm not gonna do it. But what we is gonna do is jump into our next topic. We'll dive in. So, what we wanted to talk about is the states of, and I guess this kind of goes into the whole debatable and it ties in nicely too. But the state of the rhetoric. In America. In America. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I, I'll, I'll let you start and, and dive in with that. Okay, so I was on the Young Huffington Post, you know, as we like to do. And I came across this article and it said, and it's titled, A surprising thing happens when presidential candidates use emotional language. And the article goes on to say that basically, well, I mean, well, okay, let's just run it back. So the article in, okay, so overall, the article is just speaking about how the emotional language basically almost wields power over voters currently because of the state or the quote-unquote emotional state of the country so when the country is in a time of uncertainty we're you know we're just very uncertain about the future and people 
have a lot of fears about what the future will look like, then the emotional language basically takes hold. That's what the study is saying. So um, the study was actually conducted during the 2012 election and um, Clementson, which was, um, you know, someone who did the study, him and his colleagues, they recruited 300 students uh, from various, you know, political backgrounds in order to participate in this. This was at uh, the University of Miami that they did the actual study. Um, so half the students read about an economic scenario um, designed to inspire fear. So that whole fear mongering that we were talking about before. So things like, you know, telling them that they were going to struggle after graduation to find employment, you know, that the job market isn't isn't going well. And then the other half um, read articles on economic, um, like economically inspiring rhetoric, which just basically said like, yeah, economy's going great. You know, we're going to be forgiving student loan debt. You'll be able to find a job. You're going to do awesome. So... Then, based on that, the students read excerpts from um, speeches of fictional presidential candidates, and it varied between like high-intensity emotional language versus low-intensity language. And afterwards, they were asked to rate the perceptions of the candidate in several different areas, you know, the primary two being trustworthiness and presidentiality. So, do you feel like this person would be excellent for the White House? Uh, The students um, who read the negative economic scenarios tended to rate candidates with the high-intensity language as being more presidential and more trustworthy versus the students who had the positive economic um, scenarios. They tended to rate um, candidates who use low-intensity language to be more presidential and more trustworthy. So basically, the whole idea was that when people are in intense conditions and emotionally like high stress, when they're at that high stress level, they are more willing to, or not more willing to, but they receive the high intensity emotion better than people who are kind of, you know, in a good space. Mm-hmm. Like they're set, they're good, and those people tend to lean more towards actually finding, wanting to know facts about the presidential candidates, you know, actually being able to articulate, okay, well, what is your platform and things of that nature. And I feel like that was actually a really, that was a really timely study because based on the presidential election cycle that we have going on right now, I really feel like that's more blatant (laughs) than it's ever been. Like before, it was a matter of, okay, well, you know, I feel like the candidate leans with these values, has this sense of direction, so maybe I'll go with that. But now everything is so, like they said, it's so high intense. Like it's almost like that whole reality, you know, TV show situation again. That's basically what it's come to. Yeah, Yeah. where the characters who are high intense, they stick out more. And so people maybe leaning more towards like, oh, I'm going to follow their storyline because I like what's going on here. Mm -hmm. We like the drama of it all. And that's for the good and for the bad. I mean, you know, you don't want to do it. But at the same time, we have to be responsible and muddle our way through the uh, 
rhetoric that is being thrown at us and the one-liners and the quick reads and that kind of thing and really get to what is really at the heart of what these candidates stand for. And I think we've been seeing that a lot on this podcast and yeah. just, you know, getting, getting through to the real issues. And I think once you get through them, there's, there's very few on either side that, I, you know, really have a plan. And I'm all for passion. I'm all for the theatrics of it all. I mean, obviously, um, I am like, and Anything you do, I, I believe that there should be some passion and zest behind it. But my problem is that you throw these, you know, one-liners and you throw the theatrics and you don't have anything behind it. And that's just an insult to the people who you are supposedly catering to. That's an insult to a lot, honestly. And you know what? I when I was when you were saying that, that made me think about how you know we were just talking about earlier, like. You know, no matter what space you're in, you should be able to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's been a lot of the problem in the race now is that people are trying to change to fit a certain quote unquote prototype one for being president mm-hmm. and two for how the race is currently being run. Like, even if you look at things like, you know, within the GOP all those candidates after a while they stopped trying to really give their own platform and they started you know debating and just speaking in general like the way trump was doing yeah because trump was getting the most attention so they figure well if i do it like that then they'll pay attention to me too Mm -hmm. and that's when i think a lot of people lost their foothold like people like you know marco rubio who literally (laughs) was on the news just basically saying that like you know, when I tried to give you all the issues and gave you my platform, nobody wanted to listen. When I started to argue with Trump, then that's when I was getting pressed. And and that's the bad part. Like, and and we as American people are responsible for that, not just in the political arena, but on, you know, the TV arena and the music arena. Like, I feel like a lot of times we are hypocritical. And I'm not going to lie because I'm... I've been there too. I mean, you yeah, know, on one that's hand, part of being human, yeah, yeah. So. But I mean, on one hand, we will sit there <laughs> and scream all day about how there's nothing positive on TV, and all they keep shoving in our face is crap and blah blah blah. And then as soon as you have something positive out there or someone that is trying to play the game in a fair way, then they're labeled as boring mm-hmm. and they're labeled as uninteresting and someone that you're is just not the lame. T- you're just the lame. Yeah. You need to be a part of this and you need to try that. And and then they're not taking, you know, seriously and so then you do get the foolishness you do get the the drama and the reads and you know the pettiness of it all and that's that's part of the problem too and I think that you know as voters we dictate what we get more than we think we do it, you know, when we respond to that type of rhetoric, that's what's going to be fed back at us. What you put out is what you're going to get back from the universe, pretty much. Um, and that's that's in more ways than one. So um, I think it goes both ways. Those who, you know, are supposedly vying to be our leaders have a responsibility to create a client, a climate rather that is conducive to 
growth and harmony and not say anything that's inflaming no matter what anybody else wants. But at the same time, you know, when that is thrown at us, we as the American people have to be more critical and muddle through what is the BS of it all. I'm going to just say it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just really get to the issues. Yeah. Um, I, I would also just say though, I don't, I don't necessarily think that some candidates feel that they aren't trying to be unifying, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I like to us. Okay. Clearly like to us, who is Trump or the unifying, but people within, you know, that whole sector, I don't, that mindset, I don't even really know what's labeled, but people within that whole mindset, they feel like they are being unified. Like, yes, we finally have someone who represents, you know, our our thoughts, our values, our opinions. And now, oh, yes, we have this platform where all of us can come together and say, hey, we don't like pl- political correctness. We don't like, you know, X, Y, to Z. Yeah. So on their front, they do feel as though they have a un- somebody who's trying to unify so I think it's just a matter of being responsible in how you go about that unification like and that and that's that's I mean I think essentially we're saying the same thing like bring something new to the table I'm not the biggest fan of political correctness either I'm the type of person where I'd much rather like I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If I ran for office, like, I would be that person who's like, let me tell you, it is messed up right about now. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. Like, I'm the type of person who feels that put all the dirty laundry out when need be, within reason. Yeah. And because I'd rather, you know, we know that there's a problem and we're able to fix it than for everything to look pretty to everyone else. So we're not actually dealing with the issues. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a fan of the political correctness either, but even within that, you, when you, whether, I guess, whether you believe you're unifying or not, when you see that everywhere you go, there is just chaos and bickering and arguing and violence, then that tells you to take a, you know, a step back and say, let me see how I'm affecting this. You know, if, if I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's- and, I, and I think that actually speaking of that, um, that's actually a good segue into that last thing that we want to touch upon which is so, you know, in this day and age, when you do have access to so many different platforms, and, you know, whether that's the presidential race all the way down to the everyday person, you have access to so many different platforms where you can put your opinion out, you know, put your think piece out for people to comment on almost to the point where there's, like, a lack of privacy on the internet. The, the yeah, whole and it's like web. everything can be said and used against you yeah. on the internet. And, I mean, a lot of times, even when you don't intend for that to happen, I mean, we've seen several instances where uh, technology will just get you caught up and in trouble. And is that a good thing? And where is that line? So, like, for instance, um, 
there's been this uh, big story going around, and I don't know what state the teacher was in, but there's this teacher who she sent some pics, and I don't think they were fully nude or anything, but you know, her boo was out of town. She oh, takes I remember the, that. Yeah, she, she said ta- to her husband. Right, right. It's yeah. her husband. Yeah. So she takes some pics to her husband, yeah. and a little bratty little kid decides. <laughs> That, you know, he takes the teacher's phone and finds some stuff that he didn't need to find. Mm-mm. And then this teacher is all of a sudden fired for that. Uh, we've heard, you know, somebody just talking online on Facebook and making a comment to their friends. And then their boss sees it. And next day they have the pink slip. Mm-hmm. We have conversations from stars that are just intended to be those random around the table conversations that you don't know that it's recorded and it's put out there and next thing you know you're losing all the awards all the you know like just and it becomes this this big thing and a lot of times it's not even attended now I mean I'm I'm the type of person that says if you're putting it out there, then you kind of, you do it at your own risk, pretty much. I mean, and no, I mean, I, I feel like there needs to be a Miranda warning for the <laughs> internet. Like, seriously, like. But you know, <laughs> I, but I think that's, at that point, I, okay, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the Miranda warning, but I do feel like you have to make that decision within yourself, you know, whether or not you're okay with the world knowing. Because I feel like, I don't know, like, I don't think you can, because you can't censor, you know, the internet. I mean, it's free speech. Yeah. So it's a matter of you, you know, decide if you want to quote unquote censor yourself. And to some extent, like, I feel like you shouldn't have to. But then also... You know, you you want to use discretion, and I think that that's the fine line because people have different, I won't say definitions, but people have different ranges for discretion. But where, but where is that line between? Okay, so, well, first of all, where where is that line between what you doing in private impacting what goes on in the workplace? I mean, people are getting fired, people are losing That's jobs, or not getting yeah. hired, or you know, um, you know, there was some um, random somebody posted a picture of themselves that was in the NAACP, and they happened to be at a um, uh, strip club. And there was all of this fallout because, oh, she's, you know, you, you posted a picture. I mean, and, and they weren't out there stripping. They weren't out there doing anything. But I mm-hmm. guess, you know, based on the picture, you could tell where they were, uh-huh. you know. So where is that fine line between this is my Facebook page and I am a human and I do have fun. And I'm not always on this very pristine clock of saying the right thing and doing the right thing and and then knowing that you're a professional so what you put out there to the world is going to be digested and taken under a certain lens so like where's that line I, I guess I think well I feel like it's probably different for I guess I would say by person and by setting because there isn't Okay, well, I, I won't say, well, 
Yes, I do think that, but then I also think that it could be a combination of, like, say, for example, like, with your employer, you know, there's, like, an employee handbook where sometimes companies do go as far as to, like, say, you know, your outside activities could, if they potentially reflect negatively on the company, then, you know, that's going to end up being an issue. Like, I know that that's just something basic just from, like, high school. I know. Yeah. You know, if you did something outside of school, you were probably going to be called out about it at school. So, I think... In my opinion, I think it would be best if there could be a conversation between those entities and and their employees or, you know, like the actual whatever the business is and their employees to say, let's come to an, an agreement on what is considered, I guess, my time versus your time. If that's a good way to put it. But that's what I'm saying. Everything is blending so much now that there isn't an off the clock. When, you know, if everything that I'm doing can be scrutinizing. And then even if I'm not the one that's putting it out there. Heck, you and I could go to a party tomorrow. And we're not doing anything crazy. But, you know, somebody takes a picture. And you may happen to have a red cup in your hand. And then automatically it's assumed. Yeah. You could have some, you know, some straight just pineapple juice in there. No alcohol or yeah. whatever. But because that picture shows that you, and you didn't take the picture. You didn't put it on your Facebook page. But you, somebody else took it. You're all of a sudden tagged in it. And then next thing you know, well, you know, Shanae and Barbara, they go out. You know, they're supposed to be these young professionals and you know here they are out here being wild and drinking and you know like wh- where is that line and if I did I mean if I did have alcohol in my cup what does that have to do with how I argue in front of a jury and a judge in the morning and how I write my motions what does that have to do with how good of a med student you're going to like wh- where is that line I mean yeah I, yeah I, I definitely agree with that and I think that the issue is that I think as a society we've become a bit comfortable with putting people into boxes and categorizing people based on different aspects of them, I guess you could say. Like, and and the issue with that is that if you, you know, if you had the situation of like, oh, okay, somebody takes a picture of you and you're at a party. Well, if they see you at the party, then okay, you're going to be labeled like, oh, you're a party girl. So this is the box that you fall into. So because you're a party girl, then you can't, you know, perform at this level or you can't do this. And, you know, then it becomes a... Uh, almost like a condemning factor Mm -hmm. versus like actually seeing the person as a whole human being. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like even basic stuff. Cause like, and people do it all the time. And I, and you would think that I guess as adults, you would move past that, but that's the same thing from like childhood. Like if you see one person doing something like, okay, I like, like I'm a church kid. Like I, that's just how I grew up. I'm always in church. Okay, cool. But, you know, growing up, people are always like, oh, well, you a church kid, so, like, are you going to have time to go to the mall with us? Are you going to be able to, you mm-hmm. know, go to this party? Are you going to be able to do da 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 It's like, like, yes, I am, and I'm still a person. Like, I'm mm-hmm. still, you know, a young adult, and there's other things that I like to do as well, and that doesn't have to be contradictory to to my Christianity. Like, I'm not going to go out here and get, you know, toe up and stuff like that because that's not my thing. 
but you know, like you get to have a life outside of just these these categories. And and that that's what's quickly you you're put in. into. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and, and that was the same way because yeah, a lot of times I wasn't the one that was invited to the parties because you saw me with a book in my hand. So it's automatically assumed that you don't. And it's like, yeah, I have fun. And then people are so surprised when I do go out and I'm on the dance floor longer than everybody else. And it's like we all, you know, we all exist in these different facets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you say, a lot of times this one thing, you know, it's so quick to damage or paint this perception off of this one little clip on the internet or this one little, you know, blurb. And a lot of times, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm conflicted because on one hand, I do feel that when you reach a certain, uh, echelon and you are a leader and you are someone that is influencing others. Yeah then you do have a responsibility to to hold yourself to a certain standard. And whether it's right or not, like you know that there are certain things that are just not going to fly. So if you're putting yourself out there and you're, you know, you're putting these sex tapes or you're putting something out there that is, not flattering or you wouldn't want your mama to see because that's you know the rule that they always tell you you know are you cool with your mama looking at it um then yeah I mean you kind of get what you get but nowadays I mean there's so much out there and and everyone has access to the phones and everybody has access to what's going on and so a lot of times even when you don't intend to and even if it's something that's seemingly innocuous I mean there's certain like I say, a certain picture, you you sitting there taking a picture, we cute, and we just taking it because we like our outfit, but because there's something in your hand that somebody, you know, has this mm-hmm. perception. And so, you know, we, it just gets you so critical and so, yeah, yeah. It, you know, <laughs> and, and you want to live your life. You want to be professional. You want to, you know, make sure that you are maintaining a certain, you know, um, uh image but at the same time you know you're human and and so often people uh people's entire careers have just fallen based on that one moment in time mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of crazy to me because I'm like we've all had those moments where if somebody would have captured that they would have thought something oh, no now what do you mean we're, listen we're, we're infallible mm. what, you, what are you saying we don't make mistakes <laughs> okay we don't, we don't make mistakes we don't mm-hmm. Mm-mm. so i don't know what you're talking about you know and, and, and nine times out of ten the stuff that we you know get all bent out of shape on has nothing to you know do with that person's career like for instance and and i'm gonna I'm just go there Mm-mm. i am the whole yeah. cosby situation uh-oh so, I'm not even going to go into whether I think he did it or didn't. I'm going to say if he did, that is a very terrible and monstrous action. But, does that take away from... All of the accomplishments that he has 
done as a comedian and should everything that he's done for african-americans in in the entertainment industry as a comedian as a philanthropist like automatically be stripped away a in the court of public opinion because all of this is surfacing on the internet and all you know this Mm -hmm. hasn't been proven in you know in a court and guilty but you know even if it, it it was like should this be something that strips away? I mean, we're entire, we're entire beings. And so should that. I guess the literally the question that arises is, can we actually separate Bill Cosby from Dr. Heathcliff Hustable? But not even just Heathcliff Hustable. I mean, he's been a philanthropist. He's been uh, a person who has done a lot for a lot of institutions, a lot for the the black community. And I mean, and, and if we're going to be real, some of the people who we celebrate today, who we don't want to sit there and talk about, let's, let's go there. Dr. King had a reputation for... Not being faithful. Let's just put it out there. And people look down on that. Does that take away from what he did for the community? Now, I'm not saying that if, you know, Cosby did something like this or if this was put, you know, put out like that, that's not a horrible thing and that he shouldn't pay the price for that if that is what he's found guilty Mm -hmm. of and what he did. Right. But do you automatically just strip away the other achievements because of, like, should there be a, a, a separation? Is there a set, like, like, yeah, like where, where is that fine so line? How do you distinguish, like, the actual contributions versus the potential crime, I guess? Or yeah, or the potential misdeeds or missteps. I mean, because I, I mean, I'm I'm picking you know bigger you know actions, but yeah, like so yeah, I I said this out of character term on you know on the internet, but if every day I'm on time, I get the job done in in a way because I said this, it, does that take away everything that I've done in the workplace? Right. And should, is so that, that grounds so that to fight that fine line that yeah. we were trying to find before? I I don't even know if there's necessarily a single solution to that. I really feel like that is a discussion that had that needs to be had on a larger scale because I don't think like right now as a society, I don't know if we necessarily one, are separating the two. You know, I think that there's certain separations. I think the separations are contingent upon who you are. Okay. I think that's I a agree. factor as mm-hmm. well. And that, yeah, I think that's a factor. I think separations are also contingent upon factors of who you are. Like your social economic status, you know, what social circles you, you roll in. And I feel like, so that on a, on a, wide scale on a national scale I think we need to have discussions as to what is the fine line you know where does work stop and my personal life begin where do all of these things fall but that was even thinking about you know when you were saying before but it's like oh well when are we ever off the clock yeah that's a 
that's an issue of that's a twenty first century issue too because there are so many jobs where I guess you could say you almost have to be like an image. Mm-hmm. So and even those that not, I mean, there's just always somebody looking and 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 we have access to everyone 24 7 i mean yeah uh you know was that the truman show where they um was that the name of the movie where they recorded that guy all day every day and it was i think that was the name of the movie but either way big brother is here and (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's there's access all the time and so there's you're you're always a part of the show. Everybody's looking at the the every every aspect, and and in some ways that's good because we're more connected than ever. But in some ways that's bad because when you feel like you have to put on a show at all times, can you really just relax and 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 be you and and really get into all the different facets of you? And many of us as young professionals. I mean, I think you can. I think it's just a matter of whether or not you want to share it. Because I feel like we are interconnected, but I feel like you don't have to be. It's not like it's mandated that you have a Facebook, even though it seems like it is because, like, everybody's on Facebook. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, I feel like you can be interconnected to a point. I think that's important to know, too, that you, it's okay to say no. Just say no. You You can say no. Like, you don't have to post you don't have to tweet you don't have to put stuff for the gram like Mm -hmm. you can just decide to say no and that's cool too and and i think that so that could be a defining you know yeah everybody doesn't need to know everything yeah and be around those people who respect those boundaries yeah that too because somebody could just throw you up on instagram yeah be like hey i I didn't even want people to know that, like, I was there or I didn't want to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I mean, that was my point even with the teacher who she just sent something to her husband. She's not putting this out for the world to see, and she didn't show it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Her privacy was invaded by someone taking her property. And then next thing you know, she's fired for, this is a married woman. She could do whatever she want with that man and send whatever she wants to him. You know, and and all so that's what I mean. It's 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 all of this just this this web, you know, of of there's the line between private and public is just getting more and more blurred. And and where do you, where do you go with that? Well, I'm gonna just bang the gavel and say that there is no definitive decision at this moment. <laughs> I don't like that answer, Yolanda. I I know, but you know, that's just the reality that that's a resolution that has yet to be attained. Or or if there even is a defined resolution to be attained. Yeah. That might be the real question. That's true. So we would love to hear all of your thoughts about that. Um, tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's a good wrap up. And so we can go ahead and end. Who you shouting out? You shouting out, girl. Girl, so in this spotlight, I'm going to just call it and another one. And another one. All right. Because, you know, we're just out here hashtag winning. Okay. So. Well, let's, let's win. I got a link from our bestie who was like, hey, look at this. I did see. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We out here doing it again. So, 
This article begins that for the second year in a row, an Elmont Memorial High School student has been accepted into all eight Ivy League schools. Now you better get it, young man. I'm look. I'm gonna apologize in advance because her middle name, the way my vocabulary is set up, I'm gonna try to pronounce this. <laughs> but you got vowels and syllables. Look, <laughs> vowels and syllables, not consonants. Vowels and syllables. <laughs> right. So the way your vocabulary is set up. I Look. said that on purpose just to see. I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, who was reading your papers? Yeah. <laughs> For that reason. <laughs> so back to back to this excellent young woman. <laughs> okay. So back so. to this young woman. Her name is Augusta Nan, and now her middle name. I'm, you, baby, you know your middle name. I'm not even going to butcher it for you. But Miss Augusta is valedictorian of her class at Elmont Memorial High School. And she, the African-American woman, was just accepted into all eight Ivy League institutions. And when I tell you that this child is like... <laughs> The epitome of just excellence. Look, we, I can't even... I'm just so excited. Because <laughs> I feel like we're just out here breaking all the stereotypes that you thought you had. Stay mad, Abby. <laughs> stay stay all the way mad. And just, Keep the staking face on. <laughs> and just out here achieving, like, she was the finalist in the 2016... Intel, you know, Intel the folks mm-hmm. that make all the the smart stuff inside But that's because she was black. That's just because she was black. Girl, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> she was a finalist in the 2016 Intel Science Talent Search um, for her research that uh, on cement that could help prevent underwater oil rigs from rupturing. Mm. Mm. Now, is that relevant on today? Is that, you know... She's just out here with these science projects that have real-world applications. So, she out here trying to change the world. She is. In high school. Black girl magic. At, at like, 17. Speaking of black girl magic, now, somebody do this math for me. Because I I thought GPAs was on a scale from, um, like, zero to, like, four, maybe five, depending on how well you did. I think they do have a a different graded system. She don't have to because, if so... I just don't, my brain does not compute because her, her weighted GPA, y'all wait for it. Her weighted GPA was 101.64. Yeah, that was on an 100 point scale. So she still, she still went off the charts. Okay, girl. I was like, define this to me because I was But like, that's huh? got to be wrong what? because for her to get into Harvard, it was only because she was black. She didn't get no, you know, she wasn't at the top oh, of what? her. Oh, was it affirmative action? It was affirmative action. <laughs> I'm not dealing with you. And she actually got a 75 on the 100 point scale. You know what? And let, like, me go ahead and, let me go ahead and rein you in and go ahead and correct that because not only... And this is what I love about her is that one, she's so humble and she's honest. Like okay. I was watching the actual news report. She and those are two things that really stuck out to me. 
and she mentioned, you know, in the news report that she had struggled in a number of classes in high school, and she felt like what really helped her to become successful was her persistence and tenacity. Mm-hmm. And that is really the key. Like, look, she just spoke to my spirit. Yes. Okay? Because... It's not even just a matter of like, oh, I was born a genius. Like, oh, I'm just a savant and it's just natural. It just happens for me. But the fact that she shared that she had struggled. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, I'm not this separate, you know, in the separate elite category. I just decided to work hard. Yep. And that's what, and the success came because I was prepared for it. Yep. So shout out to you. Miss Augusta, because you are definitely excellent, and I don't even know you, and I am so proud of you, and I just want to tell you congratulations, and whatever school receives you, they're going to get a gift. Yes, so shout out to that black excellence, because we're, we're coming up. Like, in the world, and this is just so good to see. So often you hear that the youth doesn't want to learn and that school isn't cool but like seriously she is doing a dang thing so we really have to salute you for that so for my spotlight i thought it would be interesting to show the legacy so since we're talking about African Americans breaking barriers in the Ivy League college as as this young gym is doing. I thought it would be interesting to <laughs> take it back <laughs> and show the history of it all and the people who have broken the barriers and pay homage to them. So, <laughs> um I wanted to spotlight the first African-American to graduate Harvard. And that is Richard Theodore Greener. Um, And he was born January 30th, 1844 to May 2nd of 1922. He was born in Philadelphia and moved uh, with his mother to Boston when he was nine years old. Um, he definitely had a, uh, troubled life, but he, uh, transferred to Harvard and earned a bachelor's degree in 1870. And his admission was considered an experiment mm. by... <laughs> instantly got upset. Mm. My spirit was pressed. By the administration. Um, but he paved the way. For many, many greats to come. Uh, So, um, he served as, he went on to serve as the secretary of the Grand Monument uh, Association. And he led their fundraising efforts. And uh, he was appointed as the United States commercial agent to Russia. Um, after after a stint in India. So he was oh, just traveling oh, okay. all over the world. Um, he also pursued a career as a writer and just went on to do a lot of other great things. But, um, yes, Richard Theodore Greener is uh, the first 
African-American graduate of Harvard. And I, I just really wanted to kind of show that history. We've been talking a lot about paving the way and having bridged the gap and knowing the story of those who came before us. So I thought this would be a good way to kind of bridge the gap with our spotlight for this week. Awesome. Yay, yay, yay. Yay. So that's a little piece of black history for y'all. Learn y'all something today. Look at look at God. Come on, 365 you, black. Yes. You turned <laughs> on this podcast. You learned you a little something, something. We did too. Right. <laughs> so we hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. And again, let us know what you think. Comment on us. We've had a lot of good topics today. So we want to know what you're thinking and, and what you want to hear from us. And give us some new perspectives. If you uh, talk to us and send us some emails or some comments on Facebook, we will try to shout you out and get you in on the conversation as well because this is what we're all about. Yep, yep. So look forward to hearing from you. Look forward to just living life, enjoying life, and love, and happiness, and friendship, and all those other awesome things <laughs> that we love about life. Why are you laughing? I'm for real. Like, look, life gets very difficult. I had a whole situation, you know, this past week, and... I'm just really trying to turn over a new leaf, okay? So I want to share the happiness and share the joy with everybody out there in listenership world. And I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your week. Yes. An even better weekend. Hallelujah. And that you live like there's no tomorrow. Yes, yes. Live like there is no Facebook police. <laughs> Facebook, live like nobody will ever tag you in a picture for having fun. And just remember, above all, just, just listen. listen.